This podcast episode should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, and or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast episode. Welcome back to the Narcissistic Abuse Support Platform podcast brought to you by Unfiltered. This is episode 2. In today's episode, Lucianne, a registered counselor and narcissistic abuse expert, will answer these seven questions from our Narcissistic Abuse Support Platform community. 1. I have a narcissistic mother that I love so much and I feel like I can't let go of her. How did you work past the thoughts, feelings and emotions that you had invested in your mother? How were you able to acknowledge that someone so important to you was abusive and no longer could have a significant role in your life? 2. I have been using the grey rock method on my mom for four months now and I feel so guilty for doing it. How were you able to maintain the boundaries that you set with your narcissistic mother? 3. I know that I should go no contact with my narcissistic parents, but my self-esteem is so low. The thought of cutting them out of my life makes me feel disgusted with myself and ashamed. How did you deal with low self-esteem when protecting yourself from narcissistic abuse? 4. I think the hardest thing for me is the gaslighting. It makes everything so confusing. I don't know if I'm seeing things clearly or not. How did you spot the manipulative tactics that narcissists use? 5. How did you take back your power? I feel like my narcissistic parents have so much control over me and I don't know what to do. 6. I feel like I'm not ready to fully restrain myself from engaging in significant interactions with my narcissistic family, let alone go no contact. What were some smaller boundaries that you set with your narcissistic mother that helped you get to a place where you felt comfortable setting bigger boundaries? 7. How did you stop being afraid of the narcissist? I don't mean afraid because they might physically hurt you. I mean afraid of being discarded, shut out from the family, shamed and humiliated publicly and so on. Hey Lucienne, thank you for joining us today. We are so excited to have you. Oh, thank you. It's, it's nice to be here. Thank you. <laughs> okay, let's get started with the uh, questions that the community members have asked us us today. And the first question is as follows. Uh, I have a narcissistic mother that I love so much and I feel like I can't let I can't let go of her. How did you work past the thoughts, feelings and emotions that you had invested in your mother? How were you able to acknowledge that someone so important to you was abusive and no longer and no longer could have a significant role in your life? Yeah, so I was a little bit different about this because I always feared my mum. I was always terrified of her. So the, I, I was lucky in one way because I didn't have a lot of clients um, they they love their mum and they also fear them. I was lucky that I didn't have, because I didn't get any love from her, I didn't really feel any love towards her. So that, that left, I was only left with fear. 
Um, so I, I suppose when I started working on myself properly, um, that was the main thing that I had to, to work on was fear. And I had to just sit with, with my emotion, with fear and just feel it because it's normal for us as well as human beings to try our body sort of takes over to protect us so that we don't have to suffer this awful pain, this awful emotional pain that we feel. So oftentimes we go numb to stop ourselves feeling anything. This is also, you know, unconsciously, of course. Um, so yeah, I was just left with my fear. So I just sat with my fear. And if you can just sit with the feeling, eventually it dissipates of its own accord. So it just takes a lot of concentration on the feeling. I always say to clients to feel the feeling, try and say where it is on your body. So, you know, often with fear, for example, sometimes we hold it in our tummy. So just feel the, how does it feel inside your tummy? What does it look like? Does it have a color? I don't know all of these things. And then once we know what we're working with, then we can sort of go into it in a bit more detail, you know? So it's sort of, yeah, it's just, it's just working out what you're feeling, you know, where it is, how it feels, and then just sitting with that for as long as you can. Okay. So do you, for example, recommend like, did, or did you yourself do like journaling exercises about like kind of, uh, writing about the fear, how it feels, where it feels, how does it look like? That was more, uh, just on my own. Okay. Um, is trying to establish, you know, where is it? What, what am I feeling? Um, but yes, I did do journaling as well. That was more to get rid of the content. So for example, um, as most of us have, I'm sure I had many, many, many arguments with my mum. So I would write, you know, I said, blah, blah, blah. she said, blah, and I would write it all down word for word. And this sometimes this was arguments from, you know, like 20 odd years ago, you know, that I'd had and I was still furious about, I still had it all in my head. So it was a good way of getting it out of my head. I just wrote down the exact conversation or what I remembered of the conversation. So yes, that's an excellent way of just getting it out of, out of your head. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, that was a good answer. Let's go to the next question. Um, sorry, can I just say as well? Sorry. Yeah, the of course. The thing that I've written down here is that, that we need to grieve the loss of, of our mums. I know my mum didn't die then, but we need to grieve the loss of what a mum should have been like. So all the things perhaps that we would have, we would have expected our mums to do for us or do with us or how to treat us. Um, we have to grieve that we didn't have any of that. We didn't have the lovely mum time. We didn't have the going out shopping. Um, we just didn't have that. We missed out on all those nice nurturing times. So, and we have to grieve them. So I'm talking about crying, you know, feeling angry about it um just that sadness the sadness of the the lack of love all of it we have to grieve it as though it's been like a death mm -hmm. so yeah um uh, if i can ask like how long did you grieve like actively um a long time <laughs> <laughs> so uh 
oh, probably a couple of years. Couple of years. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's it's very <laughs> But I suppose different. it would all be different, you know. Mm, yeah, we are So. all individuals. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's go to the second question, which is, I have been using the Cray Rock method on my on my mom for four months now, and I feel so guilty for doing it. How were you able to maintain the boundaries that you set with your narcissistic mother? Yeah, so the I think the first thing I realized here was the guilt that I felt didn't actually, it wasn't my guilt to, to, to start with. So that to me was the most important bit of all of this. So I I would feel guilty if I hadn't complied with her wishes, for example. Um, it, you know, it had nothing to do with love or anything. It was if I complied with what she wanted, then she would be nice. Um, and of course, if I didn't comply, then I would feel guilt because, I, you know, she didn't love me, then I would feel guilty like it was my fault. But really, um, yes, I'd had nothing to feel guilty about. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing anything bad. <laughs> so I was never allowed to have boundaries. Um, yeah, I was never allowed to have, so I would try and have boundaries, but of course they weren't respected. So um, I think as a child, if you're living with your parents, then it's impossible to have, if they, you know, you can set your boundaries as much as you can, but if your parents or your mum doesn't respect them, there's not really a lot else you can do to, to make her respect your boundaries. You know, what you can do is recognize what's happening, recognize that you are setting your boundaries, that she's not respecting them, but at least you're trying to set your own boundaries. So and I suppose it's working out, ah, oh, this is just another technique that she's she's using to um, to maintain her power. Um, so it's about protecting yourself, you know. Um, so just by understanding what's going on and the dynamic that will help you to not get so affected and not so hurt by it. Yeah, yeah, that's very that's very good point. Thank you for your answer. Mm -hmm. Um I'll go to the third one now, which is I know that I should go no contact with my narcissistic parents, but my self esteem is so low. The thought of cutting them out of my life makes me feel disgusted with myself and ashamed. How did you deal with low self esteem when protecting yourself from narcissistic abuse? Mm-hmm. So there's two parts here, I think, that I need to talk about. The first thing is that false belief that we have that we need them. So I was always too scared to not do something or to do something because I had this, yeah, just this false belief that I needed them, that I couldn't possibly live without them, that they knew best, all of that stuff. Mm. But really, it's just, it's just rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because when you think about it logically, um, you know, I never got any support from her. Um, I would never had any encouragement. I never had any help at all. All all she did in my perception was make my life more difficult. You know, so that took me a while to get over that to, to realize that no, I don't need her. I've, I've you know, basically, I'd managed to live all my life until whenever without her 
you know, yes, we were all in the same house, but she wasn't actually helping me or supporting me in any way. Mm, so, mm. yep. Um, and then as for the, the self-esteem, my self-esteem was absolutely at the pits, very, very low. Um, so I've done all the usual things, you know, affirmations, writing them down on the mirror and stuff, um, and just tried to, to notice the positive things about me. So this even began, you know, when I would leave the house, um, I remember trying to look at all the positive things. So when I say to clients, you know, sometimes when I, you know, if you leave your front door and if you're in a bad mood, you notice, you know, oh, it's raining. You notice that there's some dog poo on the pavement. Um, you notice that there's some rubbish lying around or that, oh, there's something bad over there. And you just see all the bad stuff. But if on that same day you were to leave the house in a good mood, you see, oh, there's a nice little dandelion down there or there's some stones or you notice the goods, you know, oh, that tree's got lots of leaves. Oh, it's beautiful. You notice all the positives. Mm. So, and it's like, so it's like that outside I could see, oh gosh, like there's some positive stuff here. It's not just raining. It's actually nice, nice cloudy sky or whatever. <laughs> um, and you notice the good stuff. And then if you do that to yourself, it's the same. So instead of noticing all the bad things about yourself, oh, I'm rubbish at this and I can't do that. If you notice the positive, oh gosh, you know, I did something nice today or I, I don't know, I helped somebody or I made somebody laugh. I don't know, just something, these little positive things and then actually take the time to note them down um, and sort of almost, it's just a good reminder. Oh, I do have some positives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I have heard a few times that, like, especially when it comes to affi affirmations and daily affirmations and writing positive things about yourself or thinking positive things about yourself, that some people, they actually, they kind of feel that they are lying to them themselves. They're like, yes. like this, it feels uncomfortable. It feels like I'm just faking this and like immediately when you say the positive thought about yourself then comes like all kind of proof how it's not true like yeah. immediately so <laughs> is it just I, like i feel like some people they um i don't know what i have said that is that you just have to even though it feels uncomfortable and maybe a little bit fake and that you are like I don't know who says that you are lying yeah, <laughs> again exactly. again yeah. yourself yeah, yeah. but just yeah. go through it and I practice. think I, I remember this because I remember my mom's voice would come into your, my head she always was very against you saying anything nice about yourself at all that was like a sin <gasps> you mustn't say anything nice because then you're being arrogant you know so um yeah so i her voice was in my head saying oh lucianne you shouldn't be thinking that or saying that um, and i was faking it you're right i didn't believe that i you know i don't know whatever i'd done i didn't believe the nice things but eventually i did mm, so you know? so isn't that so then the takeaway is that you just have to keep doing it even though in the start you don't believe it at all yes Okay. And maybe if your mum's or whoever's voice comes into your head saying, oh, you sh this is wrong, you, sh you know, you're not really that good, then just have a little laugh. Laugh at that little voice 
or that mm. loud voice even laugh at it and go, Oof, you don't know anything at all. <laughs> you know, I'm doing my best for me and I'm just going to go with this and hopefully it will work. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, that's very great. Great tip. Other tip that I ever heard is that you kind of think of the narcissistic or abusive person in your life when they are criticizing you either right in front of you or when you have got no no contact or you are not anymore living with them and are low contact or whatever is that whenever you hear their voice or if they are in front of you trying to bait you into an ar argument or something that you uh, think of them as very small characters okay. Uh, inside okay. a glass jar or something yeah. and being there like eh. yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> and, and that somehow helps people to not either to react or somehow distance themselves and exactly. you know, yes yeah. i've done i did the same i used to imagine her like as being a cartoon like mm -hmm. one of these cartoons that has got the small head and a big huge aggressive yeah. mouth with <laughs> jaggy teeth so it makes it funny so mm -hmm. suddenly she wasn't this mum that i was terrified of she was this silly funny cartoon character yeah, yeah. it's just another way of taking away the fear and the importance of her you know it's yeah you're right yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. all right thank you that that was a good answer to this question uh the next one is i think the hardest thing for me is the gaslighting it makes everything everything so confusing i don't know if i'm seeing things clearly or not how did you spot the manipulative tactics that narcissists use? Yes, this is quite a hard one, isn't it? Um, I think it's, first of all, it's being aware of the, of the manipulations. So to begin with, if you're having some sort of interaction and then after you leave that and then you, then you can see, oh, I've just been manipulated or you realize that there was something, hang on, that wasn't quite right, or they were lying or something about that. Then once you look into it, you realize they were they were just being, they were maybe being really, really aggressive to make you scared so that they would, you know, win, um, whatever. You can, you can just see usually after it happened, if you can look back and eventually realize, gosh, they were just being horrible or scary, to manipulate me so that they would have their own way. Once you recognize that, then you can go in the next time. And even if you don't say anything, but maybe while it's happening, you can think to yourself, ah, she's being really horrible and mean just now so that she's trying to manipulate me. And gradually with time and practice, then eventually you'll get to the point of when she's, you know, when you're having another interaction, she's shouting blazes at you, then you'll be able to see, ah, she's shouting at me like this right now because she's trying to manipulate me. She's trying to make me do what she wants her to do. And once you can see it in the moment, then you've won because you have all the power. That I remember this, this happening with my own mum. I remember the day and I can still remember it now. We were out, we were going to go for lunch. Um, she wanted to go somewhere and I didn't, whatever. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And I, I remember saying, oh, I don't really want to go there. Could we go there and, you know, somewhere else instead? And she, I literally, she this is in the high street in front of everybody else. You know, people were walking past as normal. And she was, at the for, for the first time, I realized, gosh, you are acting like a two-year-old having a tantrum. She because she was absolutely furious, she was angry, her hands were going up and down. She had, you know, shouting at me in the street, which is embarrassing. Mm -hmm. But she was she was just absolutely furious. But I could see, gosh, you're having a tantrum like a two year old, you know, and something I didn't even have to say anything at all because I just stood there looking at her thinking, gosh, you're having a tantrum like a two year old. And something in my eyes or my, I don't know what, but she knew, she knew in that second that she no longer had power over me because I had seen what game she was playing. Oh. And that was the last time she ever had a tantrum. Really? That was the last time because she knew by my whatever, just the way I was looking, looking at her, she yeah. knew that it didn't, it didn't give me any fear anymore. So it was just a case of me realizing, gosh, you're, this is like a game. That's this so is what you do when you, oh, sorry. Uh, that's so interesting, <laughs> even yeah. though, yeah, all these, you know, things, they are horrible. <laughs> yeah, narcissistic yeah, yeah. abuse is horrible. But sometimes when I hear some of the stories and experiences, it's like the, the, the behavior of the narcissist, it's actually quite interesting and very interesting. But did, yeah. so if she like kind of noticed and uh, how did you notice how, how you reacted and stopped uh, throwing the tantrums, did she started doing something else then? Mm, I don't think so. Nope. There was never, um, there were probably still arguments of course, mm -hmm. but nothing in comparison to that. She didn't, I just remember, I, I don't know that. She noticed in me that I, I no longer feared her because I could see I could see the game that she was playing. So I suppose she knew that there was no point in ever having, you know, throwing such a big tantrum ever again because it just wouldn't work, you know. Okay. And how old were you when this happened? Well, that's the thing because I was 35. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I wasn't living with her, of course, that would be different, you know. But really, if, if when I look back, when I was living with her, mm. had I seen, had I known about narcissism then, and had I been able to observe her being, a, you know, throwing a tantrum, a two-year-old tantrum, yeah. I wonder if that would have really helped because I would have lost my fear in that moment and she would have known not to use that tactic again because it didn't work. So, mm. but of course I'll never know because I, I, I didn't realize this until I was 35. <laughs> okay, okay. So, how did you, like, how did you end up reading about narcissism or hearing about narcissism? Well, that was much, much later um, when I was doing, so, oh, what? It was much later, I did my psychology degree um, and I remember, I think it was in my, I don't know, whatever year of, of my psychology, that I was reading a textbook on, we did a day of, or two of narcissism and psychopathy and Machiavellianism. And I remember reading that book in my textbook, that page in my textbook um, about narcissism. 
and thinking, wow, this is what my mum is. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd never heard of it. Well, I'd heard of it, but I didn't really understand it all properly. Yeah. Um, and the whole the whole page was honestly about her, mm. <laughs> you know. So yeah, that was when I first became aware of the word narcissism. Okay, okay, so, interesting. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then the next question is: How did you take back your power? I feel like my narcissistic parents have so much control over me, and I don't know what to do. Yeah. And that, that I think it just like I've said already, actually, it is it's once you can see it, once you can see the game and the tactics that they're using to manipulate you, then you have all the power. Because they only have the power while you fear it or you're a little bit scared of them or whatever. But, you know, once you can see it, that's just a, a tactic to manipulate me then you they no longer have any power over you mm, mm. So, yeah yeah like and they yeah just yeah say <laughs> yeah also i was just gonna say as well getting back to the gaslighting mm. so you know they can eventually okay they can just deny oh no that didn't happen or they can gaslight you all they want and lie um and another thing i i did do was to record uh, for example, record conversations. So just take a note of it, have a little book or whatever, write down what exactly what was said, what happened, what sort of thing they, I don't know, say you were having an argument about the colour of the car and they were saying it was blue and I was saying it was red. So write that down. Okay, they said the car was blue, I said the car was red. Mm. And then in a few weeks time, when they say, no, I never said the car was blue, then you can go back to your little book <laughs> and you see, oh, I wrote that down. So, cause they'll say, oh, you're just lying or you're inventing it or you're the one that's going mad. But no, you can go back to your book and just prove to yourself that that conversation did happen. So it's not about telling the narcissistic person, oh no, you said that and I said that, I've got it all written down. No, mm -hmm. cause they're never gonna believe you anyway. They're never going to admit that. But if you just, it's just a way of giving proof to yourself that no, you're not going mad. <laughs> They're the ones that are mad <laughs> yeah. um, and you're not. So yeah, that's quite a big, a big tip, hopefully for people just to take notes of things because it might well come back in the future and they'll deny it. Okay. So. That's, yeah, that's a very good tip. Thank you. Um, then. The next question is, I feel like I'm not ready to fully restrain myself from engaging in significant interactions with my narcissistic family, let alone to, let alone go no contact. What were some smaller boundaries that you set with your narcissistic mother that helped you get to a place where you felt comfortable setting bigger boundaries? Yeah, and here, um, so the main thing for me here was um, recognizing that we have human rights. <laughs> There's a lovely book. It's not by me and it's nothing to do with me. It's a little book called Boundaries um, by E. Birch. I have the older edition, I think from 2014. Um, and on there, she writes about the human rights um, 
And one of them is, I have the right to say no. Mm. So I was, I didn't know that I was allowed to say no. And in fact, in our, in our house, no was like a swear word. <laughs> you know, if, if mum said to do something, we had to do it. And that was that. There was no, there was no no ever. Um, and in fact, when I read this, gosh, I have, I have the right to say no. <gasps> and I remember going out and practicing, and I still do sometimes. Um, I go out and practice saying no. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous. But if you're not allowed to say no ever, it's a big, it, it, you know, you feel uh, what? You feel that you've, you're taking your power back by saying no, mm. you know? So, and I think, so that was a big boundary for me was being able to say no to things. So yeah, that helped me keep my boundaries. Um, if I didn't want to, I would just practice saying no. And I'm not saying about screaming no, but you know, just, you can still say it politely and oh, no, thank you. But, um, you know, perhaps with a narcissistic person, you have to be a bit more um, forceful, but without being rude. Um, but you can still, you know, stick to your guns and no, I don't want to do that. Thank you. No, I'm not going to do it. You mm. know. So, um, yes, there was another few human rights. I've got them here. I was going to say. Um, so these are just a few. Like I say, this is copied from the from the book called Boundaries. I think it was a newer edition. Um, but for example, I have the right to not be held responsible for other people's feelings. That was a big one as well, because I'd always felt if mum was in a bad mood, I automatically thought, oh, that's my fault. Mm. Um, which a lot of people do. You sort of internalise it and, and take all the blame and, you know, so um yes recognizing that it's not my you know it's not my responsibility if she feels like that then that's that and it's it's okay you know another human right is i have the right to decide what my priorities are mm. so if i don't want to prioritize my mum that's okay <laughs> <laughs> you know and actually i am priority you know yeah um i have the right to choose how i live my life these are these all sound so you know when I say them they sound so obvious, but unfortunately if you have been raised by a narcissistic parent, you don't have these human rights and you're not aware of them. Mm. You know? So, and I think once you know your human rights on from then, then you can set your boundaries. You know. Yeah, that's that's very good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Then we have last question and uh, it is how did you stop being afraid of the narcissist i don't mean afraid because they might physically hurt you i mean afraid of being discarded shut out from the family shamed and humiliated publicly and so on yes <clears throat> and again this goes back to the same thing really is once you can observe in them that the the tactics that they're using are simply to manipulate you. That's the day when they lose their power. Um, so you lose, you lose your fear, <laughs> mm. you know, um, as for being discarded and, and sort of smeared by the family, yeah. that's a big one. Um, and I suppose <clears throat> this didn't happen with my mum, but it happened with other 
family members, I'll say, um, that there was a time when I, I did, I knew that as I distanced myself from them, that they would all be gathering together and, you know, talking badly about me or whatever. So I had to accept that they would, okay, they are going to smear me, but so what? The people, you know, if they are, if they're trying to smear me to other people that I know, for example, then I, I think to myself, well, the people who truly know me, they will know the truth. And the people who are going to join in and, and slagging me off, then I don't care about them. It's the people who, who are sort of on my side almost, and who are, you know, our proper good friends, they're going to know that this smearing isn't anything at all. So that helped me accept that yes, they are going to do smearing, but it's okay. I don't have any power over that. They can smear away all they like, <laughs> you know? So I think as well that the truth always, um, it's sort of almost, it always, it always wins. Mm, mm. There's power in truth. Yeah. And that's of course what they don't have because a lot of it's just made up rubbish. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't have, yeah, it doesn't have any power. So yeah, that, that's a good. The other part of this as well is the actual, the fear of being discarded. But when you think about it logically, you can't, I felt that you can't actually be discarded because you were never, you were never a part of their little group anyway. Yeah, <laughs> It true. was all, you know, it wasn't a proper, uh, you don't have a sort of a, a proper in-depth relationship where you can be honest with one another and talk things through. It was always a very biased, one-sided relationship anyway. So actually that there is no fear of being discarded because you've never been included in the first place. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it, it made me think about um, the previous question about fear of being alone, that you actually grew up alone, like yeah. already exactly. without the support, without that like mother. So it's kind of exactly you were already alone, but now so the fear is it's not illogical but it is very logical like there's a reason to it but when once you realize that it i think it helps yeah yeah it's like having a another it's like having an illusion in your head isn't it of mm. this is what family life should be like so you sort of pretend that oh well my family life is like that to a degree uh, so you somehow keep this mindset of what family life should be and I should you know mum should be doing this and I should be doing that um so that sort of keeps you in it it keeps you in this ridiculous game mm. um but once if you can just distance yourself from it and realize no this isn't the truth is that I'm not having any support at all they're just blocks in my life of anything they're of no benefit to me they just use me for what they want and you realize, gosh, I'm not getting anything from this at all. Mm. So actually that, again, it loses its power. The thought of being discarded from that. Well, so what? <laughs> I'm not getting anything from this relationship anyway. So who yeah. cares? But it's so hard to distance yourself and kind of see what is in front of you when you don't first know about this and they are still gaslighting you saying like, I gave my whole life to you and I have 
always been a good mother or father to you and I have done this and this and this and this and without me you wouldn't have this and this and this and this yes like that's that's hard part yeah it is hard and you're right the the best I always say that to clients the best way is to stand stand back and it's creating a distance between you and and them if you can just stand back I always say to it's like being a psychologist you go in and you put your white coat on and just pretend that you're observing their behavior so trying not to get emotionally hooked into it just try to remain you know take a few steps backwards and then just try to actually remain as far away as you can and, and just observe the behavior mm. you know because actually once you get once you're it's like they, they give you hooks they try and hook you in and once your emotions of course most of us are like oh I'm upset and how could you say that so we get we sort of grab on to their hook <laughs> if that makes any sense yes, um, it makes. but it's only because we we have our emotions that's what keeps us hooked into all these things so then we feel we, we must you know um, still be a part of the family we have to do this we have to be good blah 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 but once you detach your emotions from it and you take a step back and you see the behavior mm. then that's you mm. you know it doesn't matter what rubbish they say because we won't get hooked into it emotionally that's mm. a great great advice how to approach that thank you so much yeah okay uh <laughs> it's really us... nice for me by the way i'm used to that my clients obviously i never speak about myself because that's yeah. not you know i'm a counselor and i counsel people and help them with their problems uh, so i never ever talk about me it's really nice and strange and nice to talk <laughs> about me <laughs> i'm just being honest you know with you just now and telling you what what happened to me in my life um, because of course this is why I became interested in narcissism and, and I've devoted my life pretty much to it now yeah, you yeah. Know? So it's, I, it's it's been very interesting to hear <laughs> your answers and what what you went through and like you have so much to give like you have of course it's so horrible and sad that you experienced it but now that you are also counseling and you have the education and everything you can like help a lot of people exactly. by combining those like even though you said you of course you don't talk about yourself in counseling but you yeah. can take the knowledge kind of yeah what exactly. happened and how did I you... always think when you've had some bad you know something bad in your life if you can turn it around and help other people and make something good from it then that makes it all worth it mm. So I feel like all the crap that I went through <laughs> as a child, I was really unhappy. But at least I've I can change it all around now and make something good come out of it, mm, mm. and hopefully help a few people on the way as well. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure yeah. you have helped so many, and yeah. So uh, that was the last question, but today we had. I think very great questions and great answers. Thanks to you. And thank you. Thank you. And yeah, thank you for others for listening. And thank you, Lucienne, one more time for joining me today. Thank you. It's been very nice, actually. <laughs> <laughs>